mixed emotions today. We've been in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament for now eight weeks. And so for some of you, you're glad that we're heading towards the close. But I feel like I'm losing a good friend. Because having been immersed in the life of Nehemiah and what he did back then and what that speaks to us today, I'm like, I don't know if I'm done. Plus, Nehemiah, we haven't really got through all that many chapters when you see there's 13 of them. But we're going to do a little bit of a whirlwind and tag a few things in the latter chapters. But I encourage you to continue just to maybe finish it out on your own and read it. And I know in life groups we've been able to have some great times of sharing and encouragement uh, this has been the book that we've been basing the series off of called Favor with Kings by Caleb Anderson, and you can always pick that up uh, on Amazon if you want. Uh, but I have found from what I'm hearing that it's been a very helpful, inspiring, encouraging series. And maybe next week we'll take some time to interact on that and some of the things that God uh, highlighted in your life uh, through the series. But today we're bringing it to the close. And this has been our foremost um, word to you from this book. You have a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. You have a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. Now, sometimes you maybe have heard me say this so much, you're like, it's just sort of just zoned out when I just said that. But some of you really, really still need to hear that. Because your life is not useless. It's not just meandering and roaming around the 70, 80 years God may give you and then you pass. No, God has placed you on this earth for a purpose. That relationship with him, yes, but he has given you a mission. And it's going to motivate you. It's going to inspire you. It's going to encourage you. And it matters to someone else. Because he's called each of us to make an impact on others. That's been his plan from the get-go. And so if you need to hear that again this morning, there it is. That's what's happening. But as we uh, look at things bringing to a close, there's this statement that I want to challenge us with today. On your mission, in your life, you need to know that when you understand who God is and who you are, then you will find strength through joy for whatever you are facing. Amen? Now, you say amen now, but we're going to dig into this and pull it out a little bit. But that's where we're going, all right? When you understand who God is and who you are, then you will find strength through joy for whatever you are facing, whether it's this mission that God's put on your heart and you're like, how is this ever going to go forward? It, it feels like Nehemiah where you need to go build a wall, right? Or maybe it's that you are at a place of brokenness and you can't even think about doing something for God or even someone else. And you're sort of curled up. I don't know, whatever it may be. But you need to know that you can find strength through joy for whatever you're facing, but it's going to be dependent upon you freshly, daily, discovering who God is and who you are in God. All right? Now, as we walk through today, I, I summed it up in three words uh, with W's. Isn't that nice for you? Uh, the word, the worship, and the walk. The word, the worship, and the walk. Now, 
What happened in the book of Nehemiah, if you were to go back to the first, very first chapter, Nehemiah 1.3 says this, they are in great trouble and disgrace. You see, when you look at Nehemiah, it's really not about the wall. It's about the people in Israel, and these people were in great trouble and in great disgrace. And so God chose to do something about it by calling a man by the name of Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king in Persia. He was a Jew, but he was called to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Yes, but he was called to go deal with this problem, that the people are in great trouble and disgrace. And I could easily find, we could easily find ourselves in that type of particular environment as we look at our own life. And so Nehemiah, he goes back, they find God's favor, they rebuild the wall, which represents security and identity as a people. And God continues to move on their heart. They celebrate this, this new day in their life. All right? This is the first thing you need to know, though, for today related to our theme. We need to learn God's word. We need to know it and we need to understand it. Because once the wall was built, they recalibrated their life as a people group. And they recentered themselves on God's word because God's word has got, had gotten lost. It not only had gotten lost in knowledge, it had gotten lost as a practice in life. And I'll guarantee you this. If you find yourself in trouble or disgrace in life, if your life's sort of, you know, uh, winging out into the edges, and it, I, can, I can take you back. Where is the word of God in your life? Because the word of God is central to you and I being able to live a life of fulfillment towards the mission, fulfillment in our relationship with God, but a life that has strength through joy. And so what they did was um, they had a gathering. Nehemiah 8 says this. Wall's done. All the people assembled with a unified purpose. Gather around, everybody. Big gathering. They asked Ezra the scribe. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books go together. They actually used to be one book, and then they were later separated, all right? Ezra's the scribe. He's sort of the, the pastor, the Bible teacher, all right, in the crowd. And Nehemiah, you know, he was the entrepreneur, building the wall, getting people together to make things happen. Ezra the scribe, they asked him to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel to obey. Now, what is the book of the law of Moses? Some of you ladies should know this. You just went through a study in it, right? The Pentateuch. Very good. Big word. Like scary word. Pentateuch. Pentateuch is the law of Moses. It's the first how many books in the Bible? Five. What are those books? Genesis. Oh, you are such good Bible students. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, if you've ever read through the Bible, you probably did pretty good. Genesis and Exodus, right? And then you hit Leviticus, and you headed south real fast. If you've been in there, it's just full of a lot of laws and, and names kind of thing. But that's what they had. That's the only Bible they had. So Ezra pulls out the Bible, 
And it says this, the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and all the children old enough to understand. From early morning until noon, sort of like 6 a.m. till noon, all right? Now, what's that tell you about a good church service, right? You'd be appreciative. You think I go long, but I really don't compared to the good sir. All right. From early morning until noon, they read aloud to everyone who could understand. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. They read the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read helping the people understand each passage. So it was sort of a little bit of the dynamic like we try to create. you got the large group where you're proclaiming the word of God, but then they also sort of ended up reading it to one another and trying to explain it and articulate it. So they had sort of the life groups going, which tells you what? You need to be a part of a large assembly, and you also need to be a part of a life group, right, where you can clearly understand and examine what the word of God is. This was a regular, not ritual, this was a regular necessity in their life. But they'd gotten away from it. They'd gotten away from it. Their kids probably didn't went. They went, huh? And so this explanation of the law was given for six hours. For six hours they sat and, or they stood and they, artic- they had the law of God read to them. Now, I would like to do for you um, the six-hour talk in just a few moments, okay? And you'll say thank you. I'm going to do it in two ways. The first is I just want to summarize the first part, and then we're going to read in Nehemiah 9, the second part. Word of God, vacant. They had not been gathering. They had not been hearing it. Ezra pulls it out. They gather men, women, children. They stand to hear the word. And they stood there a long time. And he says, let me tell you what the book of Moses is. In the beginning, God created. God created and God sustained all things. And he created male and female. To have relationship with them. And he put them in a perfect paradise. Because God is a great God. And he wants to have a relationship with you. But, as is true in any relationship, there's sort of something at the center. And that is the issue of trust. So in the garden, at the center of the garden, was the tree. and then, But at the center of the relationship was this issue of trust. Who are you going to rely upon? Are you going to rely upon God or are you going to rely upon yourself? And guess what? They chose to rely upon themselves. And in that moment, there was a breaking of the relationship. This God who loved them, who desired to sustain them, to, to be with them. And, and that relationship was broken. And not only was the relationship with God broken, but the relationship with other people were broken. And the relationship with themselves was broken. And sin entered the world. And brokenness also brought sadness and despair and even corruption. And God chose not to just say, let it go then. 
God chose to do something about it. And so all of the scriptures, all the way up to Jesus, is the story of God doing something about the brokenness that you and I live in in a fallen world because of our sin, because of our lack of trusting God. And so he sets on this course to be able to redeem that relationship. And that's exactly what he does. He calls out a people, and that people, he says to them, I want to bless you so that you can what? Be a blessing. In fact, I want to show my goodness and my love and my greatness to the whole world, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to take you as a group of people, and through you and your love relationship with me, it's going to take the breath away of the whole world because you're going to say, wow, what a God, and look how that God blesses them. Look how that God seems to honor them, and they honor God. And so that was God's plan. But then the people continued to stumble. Now, what I want to read for you is down in Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9 is them celebrating the truth that they heard when Ezra stood to speak to them for those six hours. All right? And this Nehemiah 9 has embedded in it, I think, closer than Carrie standing up here in front of you, some of the exact kind of ways that Ezra positioned the story of God from the book of Moses. Now, they stood, so I'm going to have you stand. Would you stand with me? And we are going to read part of Nehemiah 9. All right? And if it gets too long for you, you can have a seat. But they stood a long time and a reverence for God's word. So here we go. This is New Living Translation. Then they continued. Then. This is in Nehemiah 9 when they're praising God, but it's based upon what they heard Ezra say. Praise his glorious name. It is far greater than we can think or say. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve and give life to everything, and all the angels of heaven worship you. Verse 7, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him from the Ur of the Chaldeans and renamed him Abraham. When he had proved himself faithful, you made a covenant with him to give him his descendants of the land. And you have done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. Now listen, I mean, listen to how their focus on who God is and who they are starts to get reshaped by the truth of going back to the word of God and the story of Israel that Ezra brought to them. Verse 9, you saw the sufferings and sorrows of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his servants, and all his people, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians were treating them. You have glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for our people so they could walk through on the dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just, and laws and commands that were true. 
you instructed them concerning the laws of your holy Sabbath, and you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey your commandments, laws, and instructions. Verse 15. You gave them bread from heaven, and when they were hungry, and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. But our ancestors, our ancestors were proud and stubborn lot, and they refused to obey your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they rebelled and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and full of unfailing love and mercy. You did not abandon them, even though they were they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They sinned and committed terrible blasphemies. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them. To die in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them bread from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing in all that time. Their clothes, their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. 40 years. Then you helped our ancestors conquer great kingdoms and many nations, and you placed your people in every corner of the land. Verse 23, you made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. Then they went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the kings and the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with them as they pleased. Our ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and orchards in abundance. So they ate until they were full. And they grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. But despite all this, oh no. They were disobedient and rebelled against you. They threw away your law. They killed the prophets who encouraged them to return to you, and they committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you, and you heard them from heaven. In great mercy, again, you sent them deliverers who rescued them from their enemies. Verse 28. But when all was going well, your people turned to sin again. Once more, you let your enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people cried to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them repeatedly. You warned them to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not fall. Follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, though, you were patient with them for many, many years. You sent your spirit, who through the prophets warned them about their sins, but they still wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the pagan inhabitants of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, 
you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. Amen? Amen. May be seated. Can you picture yourself there before Ezra? You know, during worship today, I was thinking, wow, Lord, this is, this is a big deal. This whole culmination of everything that happened in Nehemiah and bringing it you know, to a close to just really lay it before our hearts and grip us. Can you imagine the people, what they had been through? They were in trouble and they were disgraced because of the disobedience. Generations passed. Generations would start to turn as God was gracious and merciful. But then they would turn back to their sinful ways over and over again. And here in a great day, God was doing a new work in them as a people. A people he desired to bless, to be a blessing to all people. A people that people from around the world would take stock and say, wow, that's the God I want to know. This is a big deal. But you know what? 440 B.C. has nothing on us today. We do the exact same things. Have you been there? Have you been there where you know who God is and and, and he's merciful and gracious and and he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you? And, And so you're walking that path. But then all of a sudden you start to not keep him as the priority in your life. Maybe you've never Put God as a priority in your life. Maybe you're just checking God out here today and, and you're like, yeah, my life, trouble, disgrace, sort of wondering. Well, then we put him there. And guess what? We start to realize that he never really did leave us. We left him. Do you got stories like that? We could just spend the rest of the hour just, hey, what, what are the stories of when you did exactly like what the Israelites did? Who is God? He's a great God in relationship with me. Who am I? Woe is me, I'm a sinful wanderer, but I am still loved by God, and he's pursuing me. As I sometimes say, the hound of heaven is on our trail, and he's going to track you down no matter how far you fall, because he loves you, he created you. And so the big story for those six hours was the story of Israel. From the law of Moses, they were challenged to remember God's faithfulness and goodness. Same word comes to you and I. You in a place of discouragement, lack and direction. Yeah, I sort of, God gave me a mission at one time to motivate me and to be of help to other people. But The word. The word of God is essential. And in the word of God that we study, that we learn, that we hear, that we have explained to us understand you have the history of how God deals faithfully with his people through into what Jesus did and when we start to commemorate what Christ did on the cross and through the power of his resurrection in the next few weeks friends if you stray from the word of God and the remembrance of who God is and who you are you will not have strength and you will not find the joy that he intends for you to have The second thing follows right on the heels of this then. I think this is so cool. The word was proclaimed. The truth was taught. The story was retold. Then they begin to celebrate God's goodness with a joy-filled heart. The worship. 
On the heels of the word is the worship. And the worship, we can look at it in Nehemiah in 8, 10, 16, and 17. I put up here as a couple examples. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. What do you think that was? Wine. And they shared gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is the sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, and maybe as well as in the whole scriptures. Don't be sad and dejected. What was going on with them? Their head was down. They were discouraged. Maybe, yeah, God had done this. They were still maybe fearful. They're enemies. And what all. He says, hey, perk up. Perk up, lift up your head. Who is God? Who are you in God? You have reason to rejoice. And he says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many of you love that phrase? I have used this so many times in my life. Oh, I'm wore out. I'm just beat. The grind is getting to me. Too many responsibilities. Oh, woe is me. All these things are coming at me. Finances and career issues, whatever it may be, right? You find yourself in a place. And I hear the voice of God speak to me. He says, Carrie, you need some strength. And I go, I do. I need some strength right now. I think I'll go take a nap. Oh, no, you can go take a nap, but I tell you what, you can wake up on the other side of the nap and still be as discouraged as when you went to bed. What you need to do, Carrie, is remember who I am and who you are in me. And I want you to go to my word, and I want you to see the big picture again. Because, Carrie, you're right, you need strength. But your strength is found in your joy. And your joy is found in the love of the Lord. You've been there? One thing plays on the heels of the other. See, we think that, you know, we find strength in, you know, our jobs or our, our bank accounts or how well our relationships are going, how well our kids are doing, right? But I tell you what, if you think your strength is found in those things, you will be gravely disappointed because one day or another, they're all going to collapse. They're going to collapse. And then what are you going to do? Uh. See, it's, it's, not, it's not in the paycheck. It's not in the worldly systems. It's not in politic, politics. Thank goodness, right? Your friends, your strength is in the joy of the Lord. That's where it's found. Where is your head been? Amen? So you go back to the Word, and the Word of God instructs you in the worship of God because you remember all that He's done. All right? It says this in Nehemiah 8, 16 and 17. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters. They discovered this reading the Word, that this thing was done, so they built these huts and shelters. It would be like us doing little tents around here because we just want to keep celebrating God's Word and worship Him, right? And so that's what they did. And they were all, don't you love it, filled with great joy. Now, that doesn't mean giddiness always doesn't mean life circumstances change, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of who he is and who I am 
recalibrates, recenters me so I can find the strength. They were all filled with great joy. And I love this phrase. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua. Do you know how many years that was? This took place in the 5th century B.C. Joshua was in the 13th century B.C. 800 years they had not celebrated. And what were they celebrating? Because God had not abandoned them. His presence was with them. Yes, the wall was great, but they had a a, a reconnected sense of, of identity and community of who they were as a people. And God was at the center. And they were filled with great joy. And they worshipped and celebrated. That's why we're sitting here. Standing here during worship. And, and we're singing the songs. Whether it was Hosanna or, or God's love never fails. And I'm thinking, you know, they probably would say God's love never fails. He never gives up on us. Do we as people come here on a Sunday morning with that kind of enthusiasm? Or are we just worried and bummed we lost an hour of sleep? <laughs> Friends, it's your responsibility to stay centered on the Word of God. And the Word of God is truth. The written Word of God, the spoken Word of God, the Word of God that's been written in the story of your life, even if you're in a low place, God's faithful. You had breath to get up this morning, even though you lost an hour, didn't you? And you were healthy enough to get here, and you most likely came in a vehicle that most people in the world don't have. Blessings untold. And you recalibrate, and you come, and you say, your love never fails. You never give up on us. May our worship week in and week out at the awakening be worship that is a fully alive, because we are people who are fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Amen. When you understand who God is and who you are, then you will find strength through joy for what you are facing. So the word, the worship, and we finish with the walk. After we learn God's word, know and understand it, celebrate God's goodness with joy, build hearts, this is what they did. They made a commitment. And you and I, we too, need to make a commitment. We need to commit to a daily life of surrender and obedience. A daily life. That's what the walking thing is. You know, it's sort of a Christian cliche. Well, how's your spiritual walk going? What's that mean? Is there a path that says spiritual path over here and I go and put my feet on those rocks? No, it's the daily seeking of God to live in surrender to him and in obedience to him. Nehemiah 9.38, this was actually after the section that we just read to you. Because then they began not only reflecting on what God had done, but their current situation and what God was doing through them. And it says this, the people responded, in view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and we're putting it in writing. And if you were to look in chapter 10, there's, again, one of these things. Here's the list of the names. All right. Names, names of people that were a part of this solemn promise. Nehemiah 10:29 says this, they solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations and decrees of the Lord our God. You see it's it doesn't really work to sort of come 
and um, just hear the word of God, we have to put it into practice. Obedience. Guess what starts to happen when all this begins to transpire? Do you know why the word's so important and obedience and surrender to the word so important? Not because that's the Christian thing to do if you're a Christ follower or that's just what people do in churches. No, it's what brings renewal and revival. And historically, this has been true throughout generations. Do you know that this year, 2017, is the 500th year anniversary, anybody know, of the Reformation? Martin Luther? You ever hear that name? Not Martin Luther King. He adopted that name, right? (laughs) Junior, I mean. Martin Luther, he was a monk, a priest, if you will, Catholic Church, and he hammered on the Wittenberg door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, 95 theses. And those 95 theses, he called out different things he felt that were going wrong. And one of those in the Catholic Church is how they had gotten away from Scripture. And it's through him that the whole emphasis on sola scriptura, Scripture only, came about. Protestant movement was a protest back against what was happening. He saw corruption in the church, those kinds of things. And he said, let's get the word of God prominent. And it's 500 years since Martin Luther and the Reformation. And millions and millions of people impacted through what God did through that Reformation. Because whenever you put the word of God central, it's going to bring about renewal and revival. And that's exactly what happens. But that renewal and revival is just not hearing the word of God. It's placing it into practice and begin doing it. Does our nation have hope? You bet you our nation has hope. But our nation does not have hope outside of this book right here. And it begins with us. And this local church, the next local church, the next one, one state to the next, that we make a solemn promise to obey all the commands, regulations, decrees of the Lord your God. Now, listen, you just pick one, pick a few. I, you don't get overwhelmed. Just start becoming obedient to what God has called you to do. There's three means towards spiritual vitality that they start to embrace and talk about here on the heels of hearing the word from Ezra. One is the spiritual leadership for you and your family, God's word. Two is entrust to God your time and your finances, the Sabbath and the tithe. And three was to keep church community at the center of your life. All right. And you'll find these. You'll pick them up in um, Nehemiah 10. We promise not to let our daughters and Mary Uh, let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not let our sons marry their daughters. Now, sometimes this is interpreted as God's a racist or he's for ethnic cleansing or something. No, far be it from it. That's not what he's talking about here. He was challenging them to make sure they were not corrupted by people who did not follow God. And so these people intermarrying, in their families, they would no longer have partners and other extended families who would uphold the word of God. But they, you know, they would have other kinds of gods, Malak and uh, Molech and stuff. I mean, little earthly deities, if you will, that were angry, mean. They didn't have the beautiful love of God and the compassion, the creator God, sustainer God. And so he says, you know, this is very important. The word of God teaches this. And so they said, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, and not to let our sons marry their daughters. 
We also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. We're just not going to corrupt the Sabbath. God gave us a cycle, seven days, right? Work on six, take a break on seven. And it's hardwired into us as human beings. And if you're abusing that, you, you, you fill it in your life. Every seventh year, we will let our land rest, and we will cancel all debts owed to us. In addition, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax for all the holy offerings and for the sin offerings. It will provide for everything necessary for the work of the temple of God. They were mindful of their obedience to the Sabbath and to the giving of the offerings and the tithes, if you will. And it embellishes it more if you want to read through that chapter. And then this statement is said, we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. Now, the temple was the hub of spiritual life. And it's still the hub of spiritual life, except it's a little bit different because there was the tabernacle in the Old Testament that was a big tent and they'd move it to place to place, right, through following the Exodus. And, and so the God's presence was there and then they built the big temple. And so the God's presence was there into the temple, the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus came, he rent the temple veil from top to bottom and he says, no longer are you excluded from the holy place as a priest because you are now priests. You can live in relationship with me and Jesus then began to teach that you and I are the temple because God dwells in us if we've invited Christ to be a part of our life. And so we no longer go to the temple. We take the temple with us when we go. And so when we come, we are here, not because this is a sacred building, this storefront or whatever, but because Christ in you is sacred. And so here's the temple, and he says, you know, we, we will seek to honor the temple of God. It's just a beautiful story. How powerful. And so these were three means towards the spiritual vitality of, of the walk, spiritual leadership, you and your home. You know, make sure that you do not get sloppy with your family, that you do not go casual on the spiritual front. You know, we'll, we'll discipline our kids because they're on the iPhone too long or other kinds of things. But, but then we get all wishy-washy about them being in church. In fact, I've seen people punish their kids. You're not going to go to church. You're not going to go to youth. What? Wait a second. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense. I understand why you try to think to do that. I've even tried to do it sometimes. That doesn't make sense. My kid needs to be a youth group, right? And we've got a good youth group and good momentum, so make sure they're here. Don't get sloppy on it, all right? But spiritual leadership and guidance to your kids for your life, make sure you're not unequally yoked, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6, right? Now, I know some of you, maybe you married somebody that was not a believer. God's grace is sufficient. He's a father to the fatherless. He'll be present with you. He'll work through you with that. God is still able to make changes happen in your marriage. But there's a reason that Scripture in the New Testament says don't be unequally yoked or teamed up because one will pull this direction, one will pull that direction, and you can't get oxen to head forward if they're unequally yoked. One's strong, one's weak. Jesus taught that through his New Testament because it goes all the way back to saying, you know, you align yourself, you can find yourself amiss and trust God with your time and finances. That's one of the reasons we're doing the financial peace song. I mean, just, just get in the boat and say, God, I want to honor you with that. And the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to reserve time, to be able to worship God and keep church community at the center of your life. That's one of the reasons we're doing the gathering. I want us not to just hang out at my house. I want us to be a people 
that take other people's breath away because how we love one another. They will know that you are Christians by how you love one another. And you can't love one another unless you don't know one another. Right? So that's another plug. Just come. (laughs) The word, the worship, and the walk. I need two minutes, two or three minutes of your time for Nehemiah 13, though. And then Joe's going to come and we're going to close. Not only this message, but close the series. Because the people of Israel didn't learn. Just like, and I'm sorry to be so bold, some of you seated in this room here this morning will not learn. That you need to learn and know God's word, celebrate his goodness with joy-filled hearts, and that you need to commit daily to surrender your life to him and walk in obedience. Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem, it says in Nehemiah 13, I was not in Jerusalem at the time, for I had returned to the king Artaxerxes of Babylonian Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back to Jerusalem, guess what he found? Those three areas we just talked about, he saw that they'd backslidden from him. They had started to get sloppy, casual, if you will. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. How do you like that? I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? Nehemiah, talk about him so he's a man of God. I can say this, right? I don't want to pull your hair out, but sometimes I just want to get in your face and go, What are you thinking? What are you doing? Why are you letting your kid be casual about being in church? Be here. Why are you double-minded in your thinking about being a part of the community of Christ? And where are you at with the full obedience? Test God in this. Step out. What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> I just think it's great. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. <laughs> Isn't that a great passage? You can use that. Now, I'm not telling you need to do that. All right? But it shows the seriousness of what was going on and the Nehemiah disposition. Remember when Jesus went in the temple courts and he saw the corruption going on? He got a bit angry, didn't he? Throwing over tables, pulling out whips, scattering people. My house will not be desecrated like this. It will be a house of prayer. Do you Do you ever think that God might get righteously indignant and angry about what he's seeing happening or not happening in your life? And sometimes you need a tough love friend that gets in your face and says, Hey, I don't want to beat you and pull out your hair. But. Nehemiah 13:18 wasn't it just for this sort of thing that your ancestor did that did that
caused our God to bring all his trouble upon us in our city. Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. They'd gotten casual again. I also discovered in verse 10 that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food so that the, and the singers, the worship team, which the worship team can come up right now if they're around, were to conduct the worship services, had all returned to their work in their fields. In other words, this whole great gathering, the assembly, they weren't taking care of their singers. They weren't taking care of their priests. And, and, and they returned to work in the fields. I immediately, Nehemiah said, confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? The community, the provisions of moving forward. Nehemiah in chapter 13 goes all Nehemiah. Jesus went all Nehemiah at times. And I think through the Spirit of God, he comes and he brings a rightful rebuke to us. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, he will teach you all truth, but he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. But it's not to ruin your day. It's to lead you in the paths of life. I will bless you to be a blessing. I want you to have my favor. Our mission, friends, happens in us. And then it happens through us. The very last verse of Nehemiah 31 is Nehemiah crying out and saying, Remember this in my favor, oh my God. Friends, we've been in a series called Favor with Kings. But it's the favor of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that's the most critical, is it not? You and I. May we know who our God is and who we are. And in that, may we find our joy, strength to face whatever the day may hold and to finish whatever the mission is that's laid before us. May you be blessed as a people as you seek to be obedient and live in accordance with God's word. May there be renewal and revival happening in your life. One of the reasons I like the awakening name for the church is because of the great awakenings that happened in our country when people got right with God. May we be a part of the next great awakening in our family, in our workplace, our neighborhood, and in our nation. But it requires the word, the worship, and the walk. Let's close and sing this song together. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's.